Hey, this is Nick Quintana, and you're listening to the Road to Detroit podcast. You're on the Road to Detroit, the podcast. Here's your host, Dan Hasty. Here it is, episode six. The Road to Detroit podcast is in full effect. Welcome back. Glad to have you back for episode six of the RTD. Dan Hasty, along with our producer, Nate Wangler. This is the Toledo edition of Road to Detroit. We're going to go into the Mud Hen, see what's going on with Toledo, checking on all the Tigers' prospects playing in AAA, see what they've been doing this season to get themselves on the road to Detroit. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Coming up on this week's show, a whole bunch of guests as we look into the Toledo Mud Hens. Coming up in just a little bit, we'll hear from Kyle Funkhauser, Detroit Tigers' number 10 prospect. We'll also talk to Jim Weber, the Hall of Fame radio voice of Toledo Mud Hens baseball. And then we'll check in with Jason Beck, Detroit Tigers writer of MLB.com. So let's get on the on-ramp. All right, you know how the on-ramp works. We're like Drake. We start at the bottom, and now we're here. We're going to the Gulf Coast League because the GCL West won their first game as a team this season. They beat the Blue Jays 9-4 to in their first game. The big story from this one, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later on in the road to Detroit, Riley Green. We've had him on this show. Four for five in his professional debut. Going up against kids that are three, four, five years older than Riley Green, Two home runs, a double, five RBIs, a grand slam. Are you kidding me? This is one of the biggest events in the Tigers minor league system here in 2019. We have to dedicate a whole nother segment to talk about this. But Riley Green, outstanding professional debut for the GCL Tigers West. Also, good game for Jack Kenley. Eighth rounder out of Arkansas for the Tigers. Three for four with a home run and two runs batted in. He was really good in the College World Series, but now he's in the Tigers minor league system, and he looks like he might be a quick study in the GCL. Up to Connecticut, they got swept in a three-game series at home against Lowell, but they just started to get a number of members of that Tigers draft class from this year, most notably the fourth-rounder Ryan Creedler and fifth-rounder Bryant Packard. So we'll see how things settle in once the guys in Connecticut start to find their bearings. At the plate, first baseman Jordan Verdon, a 414 on base percentage thus far. Alfredo Silva, there's a name to keep an eye on. He's one of the under the radar guys in the Tiger system. 10 innings of work, no runs, two hits, 13 strikeouts. Last year, Silva helped throw a no hitter in the Gulf Coast League. So that's somebody we got to pay attention to, Alfredo Silva. The West Michigan Whitecaps, they had a tough week. It has been a tough season for West Michigan. They got swept in a four-game series at Lake County. They were one out away from salvaging the final game of a four-game series before back-to-back home runs from the Cleveland Indians single-A affiliate tied and beat West Michigan on Sunday. But within all that, and we talked about this last week, Tigers' second-round pick Nick Quintana was added to the roster, the third baseman from Arizona, and Andre Lipsius, the infielder from Tennessee, who played all over the infield as a member of the Volunteers, started at first base, moved to shortstop, went over to third base. Andre Lipsius is now playing second base primarily with West Michigan. He can play second short. They'll probably move him around all over the place. So we'll get a good look at Andre Lipsius as both of those two kind of get their feet wet in professional baseball. That says a lot to see both of those two assigned to West Michigan as opposed to a Gulf Coast League or a Connecticut. That's aggressive. The Tigers, and in talking to Dave Littlefield, the vice president of player development, he's talked about how important it is 
for kids of a certain age to be at a certain level. If you're 21 years old, you should probably be in West Michigan. It doesn't matter if you've been playing in college for the last three or four years. It's all age-related. We've seen Riley Green, what he's doing today in the Gulf Coast League. That's where your ideal 18, 19-year-old kids are. But if you're 20, 21, 22, you should probably be in a full-season affiliate. We saw last season in 2018, Cody Clemens, the third-round pick of the Tigers, was assigned straight to West Michigan. And he did really well. He had a bit of a slow start, but he got hot right before he was promoted up to Lakeland. Ended up with an on-base percentage near 400. So we'll see if that holds true for guys like Nick Quintana and Andre Lipsius. We all know the Whitecaps could certainly use a boost to their offense. At the plate, Ulrich Boyarski was great. No surprise there. 333 batting average, eight runs batted in, five runs scored in his past 10. He only struck out six times. He's starting to draw some walks as well. So Ulrich Boyarski is starting to kind of get well-rounded at the plate. The one thing he's had left to work on is pitch recognition, and he's starting to draw a couple of walks. So that's something we're keeping an eye on. Hugh Smith, the sixth-round pick of the Tigers last year, six foot ten. He ended up dominating Lake County in his start on Sunday. Five innings, two runs, just one of those were earned. One came in on a drop pop-up. But he struck out a career-high nine batters, so that stands out for Hugh Smith. So Ulrich Boyarski and Hugh Smith playing very well for West Michigan. They just need to give them a little help. Off to Lakeland, the Flying Tigers got swept a three-game series by St. Lucie before they came home to win two out of four against Charlotte. Why is that significant? Charlotte? was the team that played in Bowling Green the year before, and that was considered the best team in all of minor league baseball. They actually gave them the award for best team. They won the Midwest League Championship. All those guys are now in Charlotte. So if you're beating a team like Charlotte, that's a really talented squad. They just added Wander Franco, the best prospect in Major League Baseball, according to MLB Pipeline. So they beat Charlotte twice. How did they do that? Brock Dethrich really started to get hot, hitting 310 at the plate, five runs, four RBIs in his last 10. He's actually got quite the hitting streak going. Brock Dethrich went 0 for 3 in his last game on Sunday, and that actually snapped a 15 game hitting streak. That's one of the lengthiest streaks in all the Tigers system and all professional baseball this year. So, a 15 game hitting streak for Brock Dethrich. We might have to talk about Brock Dethridge a little bit later on in the show. Well, Vladimir Pinto, the pitcher, he's not allowed a run in the month of June. He's got his ERA down to 240 in his last 10, 25 strikeouts, just five hits allowed. Moving on up, let's go to Erie. Well, the West Michigan Whitecaps got swept over the weekend. In double-A, it was the Seawolves doing the sweeping. They swept Akron on the road in a four-game series. Four Seawolves going to the All-Star game this year. I know that two of those won't be a huge surprise to you. We'll start at the top. Casey Mize, the number two prospect in all of Major League Baseball, and its top pitching prospect who has been lights out since he's gone to double-A. Of course he's in the all-star game for the Eastern League. Everyone's going to be wanting Casey Mize in that game. Also, Matt Manning, who has climbed his way up the ladder a little bit. He was ranked in about the mid-40s, but... After Major League Baseball's pipeline system re-ranked the top 100 prospects, Matt Manning has jumped up to number 33 overall. So again, it doesn't sound like a huge jump, but think about it. Whenever somebody gets promoted, everyone just kind of bumps up one. So if you're leapfrogging 10 different prospects, that means that the opinion of that prospect stock has certainly gone up. Matt Manning is an Eastern League All-Star. Another All-Star, Isaac Paredes. Now, Paredes' numbers won't blow you away, But it is important to remember in these types of situations that 
the people who vote for all-stars in the minor leagues are not fans. They're coaches. So coaches have to be impressed enough with a guy, and usually coaches will throw out whatever the numbers say, and they'll vote a guy to the All-Star game based on how good they think that player is in general. And we're talking about a kid who's still just 20 years old and having success in A. He's hitting 264, so he's certainly holding his own. He has walked almost as much as he has struck out this year. 31 walks, 33 strikeouts. I think it's important to know about Isaac Paredes. You know, he's just 20 years old, but this is a kid that was playing full-season affiliated baseball back when he was 17 years old. He was playing shortstop for South Bend all the way back in 2016. For the record, 17-year-olds don't play in the Midwest League. They don't play in full-season affiliated baseball. And Isaac Paredes was playing for South Bend at the end of 2016 began the season with them the following year, and then shot over to West Michigan after the Tigers traded Justin Wilson to the Chicago Cubs along with Alex Avila in exchange for Paredes and Jamer Candelario. He's still a top-five prospect in the Tigers system. At the plate, four homers, 28 runs batted in, but they're certainly giving him a long look, and I think he's impressed a lot of coaches. Otherwise, he would not be in the Eastern League All-Star game. Last but not least, Jose Azokar, who's still in the top 30 prospects for the Tigers. People forget he's just 23 years old. His outfield arm is the stuff of legends. Once upon a time, we had a nickname for it back in West Michigan. We used to call it the Azuka. It's that good. We saw him throw out a base runner trying to tag from second to third on a fly ball to the right field warning track, and he threw the ball from the warning track straight to the glove of the third baseman to nip a runner at third base to the point where it was almost kind of like that scene in Rookie of the Year. You remember when the kid had the baseball in center field and he threw it all the way home and the catcher caught it and everyone just kind of looked at him? That was the kind of moment we had with Jose Azokar back in 2016. At the plate, he's hitting 293, two homers, 25 runs batted in, plays a very good outfield, still needs to work on pitch recognition a little bit, but this kid has always had the tools and loud tools to be successful. He's obviously impressed a number of people in the Eastern League. Four Erie Seawolves All-Stars, congratulations to those four. Here's a get-right game for Bo Burrows, one of the Tigers' top 10 prospects. We've seen him in Toledo a lot, but he actually made a start in Erie. Pretty solid start against Akron on June 22nd, coming off the injured list. Five innings of shutout baseball, two hits, three strikeouts for the Texas right-hander. You know, I remember Bo Burrows back when he was just starting his pursuit up the minor league chain. Getting to know Bo over the course of his minor league career, we see a guy that comes from high school and see him try to make the adjustments like so many other guys. He wasn't trying to pat himself on the back, but he had said that when he was in high school, he actually never had to pitch from the set. He was only pitching from the windup because nobody ever got on base against him. So it's one of those things that you don't think about, but you have to learn as you go through professional baseball. Here's another good game from Erie. Anthony Castro, 11 strikeouts in seven innings of one-run baseball back on the 19th against Portland. Anthony Castro's always had really good stuff, but it's been a little bit hit and miss for Castro over the course of 2019, but he's starting to show why everybody was so high on him. Anthony Castro is an interesting story, and he's about as mature as you'll ever find for a 24-year-old kid. Castro and his family were living in a very rough part of Venezuela where life was very difficult for all of them. He ended up actually using some of his signing bonus from the Tigers and his own money and moved his entire family out of that sketchy part of Venezuela, moved all of them to the Dominican Republic. If that doesn't show maturity, I don't know what does. Anthony Castro deserves the success that he's had for the Erie Seawolves as of late.
Last but not least, the Toledo Mudhens won two out of three against Lehigh Valley before taking three out of four at home against Rochester. That's a good week for Toledo as we celebrate the Mudhens here on this edition of Road to Detroit. Willie Castro continues his hot-hitting ways, 309 at the plate, four home runs for who was a top Cleveland Indians prospect before the Tigers were able to acquire him in the Leonis Martin trade. Willie Castro still playing at a pretty young age, just 22 years old, just recently turned 22 years old at the end of April. He's got 13 stolen bases. He's got 25 extra base hits in 67 games. He has very nicely put together an impressive season to keep him on the map as a top Tigers prospect. That's the on-ramp. And the next pitch in. Swing and a miss. And how about Funkhauser striking out his first two batters? Sanchez kind of chased a high one there, two gone. And here comes Tyler Austin. Now welcome to AAA, Kyle Funkhauser. Here on this edition of Road to Detroit, we honor the Toledo Mudhens. It's the last of our progression up through the minor league chain here on RTD. The Toledo Mudhens have been around in AAA since 1965 when they joined the International League. They've been affiliated with the Detroit Tigers from 1967 through 73. And 1987 through the present, they've won league titles in 1968, 2005, 2006. Played their games for a long time back in Ned Skelton Stadium before moving downtown to Fifth Third Field. Their manager is Doug Minkavich, the former first baseman that played with a handful of teams in Major League Baseball. And there are a bunch of notable players that have come from the Toledo Mudhens into the Major Leagues. Most Detroit Tigers at some point in their careers have played for Toledo. There is one player, however, that made the Baseball Hall of Fame from Toledo to the Major Leagues, but never actually wore a Detroit Tigers jersey. Kirby Puckett, the Hall of Fame outfielder from the Minnesota Twins, was a Toledo Mudhen. There was a very short amount of time. The Minnesota Twins were a Mudhens affiliate from 1978 to 1986. So Kirby Puckett played his AAA ball in Toledo. So far this season, the Mudhens have a record of 33-43. and And if you've watched TV shows or movies, sometimes you'll get a mention of the Toledo Mudhens. As a matter of fact, if you're a fan of the Major League movies, Lou Brown, the manager of the Cleveland Indians, was said to have managed in Toledo prior to managing the Indians. And then if you want to go a little farther back, if you remember the TV show MASH, Maxwell Klinger, who was played by the actor Jamie Farr, he hailed from Toledo on the show. Maxwell Klinger was said to be from Toledo. He often talked about the Mudhens as his favorite baseball team. He was often seen wearing a Mudhens cap. He was actually born and raised, the actor Jamie Farr, in Toledo, and the Mudhens retired jersey number one in Farr's honor. On the mound, it's been a struggle for the Toledo Mudhens. A handful of their starting pitchers have ERAs over five. A couple of good arms out of the bullpen. John Schreiber, the native of Rockwood, Michigan, a 372 ERA with 34 strikeouts and 29 innings. He's playing in Toledo, which is about 20 minutes from where he grew up. But at the plate, the offense has done a really nice job for Toledo. Dowell Lugo, who's been up and down with Detroit, has hit 341 with the Mudhens this year. Willie Castro, who's turned himself into a top 10 Tigers prospect, 305 at the plate, a 393 on base percentage. He leads the Mudhens in stolen bases with 13, still working on his defense, but four homers, 32 runs batted in in those 69 games. And out of nowhere, Victor Reyes is playing some of the best baseball of his career. A 301 hitter in almost 60 games, nine homers, 52 runs batted in. 
And Daz Cameron's a guy who struggled a little bit this year, hitting 215 coming into play on Wednesday. But then he went four for five at the plate. That'll help out your batting average a little bit. Got a little bit closer to 230. But Daz Cameron hopefully seeing some signs of maybe a second-half breakout that he has had in his history in the minor leagues. He did it in 2017 with Quad Cities and then West Michigan. Did it in 2018 with the Erie Seawolves. And then here in 2019, maybe just maybe, a breakout is on track for the Toledo Mudhens. That's a rundown of Toledo. The Road to Detroit podcast continues. This is the Toledo-centric version of the Road to Detroit. Kyle Funkhauser, one of the Tigers' top prospects, joins us now. Kyle, thanks for joining us. The number 10 prospect for the Tigers. Good to have you, Kyle. I'm doing great, Dan. How are you? It's been a while since we've had the chance to catch up We've seen all the success that you've had at different levels of the Tigers minor league system since graduating up from West Michigan and Lakeland and Erie. Now, you've had a chance to see every stop on the Tigers minor league circuit. Do you have any favorite spots along your journey through this minor league ladder? Um, see, a couple of good places that I can remember. Um, obviously, the Florida State League had a good town. Um, you know, beach town, uh, it's hard to beat that. Um, but even starting before that, West Michigan, I mean, Midwest League, some of those teams draw really good crowds. Dayton's a really nice place to play. Um, didn't spend a whole lot of time there, as you know, but, um, you know, there's teams there that love their baseball as well. Um, then we're kind of moving on up to, to the Eastern League. Um, just a few that really stick out. Hartford's a really, really nice stadium. You know, top ten stadiums. It seems like just about every one of them's in, in the International League. Um, I mean, obviously Toledo's beautiful um, inside and out stadium. Uh, surroundings, kind of the, the city, the town. Uh, again, they love their, you know, their mud ends. And um, our division, especially Indianapolis, is really nice. Um, Louisville is pretty nice. Um, you know, in a good spot. You know, right downtown, uh, that's where we are right now. Um, then there was Columbus. I mean, Columbus is, is really cool too. Uh, right, right downtown. Uh, a lot of stuff going on. A lot of stuff to do. Um, so yeah, it's been to some really cool places, and uh, just trying to. When you go to a new place, kind of just try to soak it in. And um, one thing I really like to do is, is, is try to hit like a new diner. You know, say we're you know in the town for four days or whatever, try to hit a new diner or like a new lunch place each day, and just kind of compare and contrast the different the different areas. You know, it's interesting because now you find yourself up in AAA. And, you know, it's been a couple of years now since you've been in the Tiger system. You started in Connecticut back in 2016. When it comes to your routine, how has your routine changed from then until now? Uh, it's changed quite a bit. Um, obviously, over time, you, you learn your body a little bit better. Um, you kind of learn what you need to do. Uh, you're with different strength coaches, different trainers who like to do different things. Um so yeah, you just—it's um, kind of—it's all kind of part of it when um, you know, working out, uh, doing rehab stuff. Um, like I said, you, you find certain things that you really like and certain things that work for you, um, and make you feel good. And I mean, at the end of the day, that's really part of the game. How can I feel good every fifth day? Or um, in my case, and then in, in other guys' cases, how can I feel good? You know, relievers and position players, pretty much on a daily basis. What do I need, and, and uh, you know, where am I? or where am I hurting or whatever, and uh, what do I need to do? We're talking to Kyle Funkhauser. All right, so the numbers have looked good in Erie last year. In Toledo this year, 
you finally cracked into the Toledo Mudhens and the AAA realm of things, but now the question is, is he healthy? How are you feeling? Um, I was dealing with a little bit of a shoulder, um, I guess, situation. Um, it's not as, as bad as it sounds. Just uh, wasn't shoulder wasn't feeling great. It, it wasn't recovering all that great. Um, and it was kind of trying to do basically as much as I can, you know, above and beyond in the training room and stuff. And um, just kind of wasn't cooperating early in the year um, for, for whatever reason. Uh, went into spring training um, healthy. I mean, had a good spring uh, for the most part. Um, towards the end of spring training, it was uh, kind of bugging me a little bit. Um, and then, you know, into the season, um, some days felt good, some days felt, you know, eh. And, uh, but uh, kind of the, the time off and the rehab that, that I took, you know, to miss some time and go down to Florida and really, really take care of it uh, really did me wonders um, in terms of, you know, health orders and how I'm feeling. Um, I, right now, since I've been back, I've been feeling feeling great, better than, um, you know, best I have in a long time, really. Um, just uh, recovering quickly, recovering really well, um, but just kind of doing it, trying to do everything I need to do, you know, like I said, stay in the weight room, stay good, drink a lot of water, stay hydrated, because, um, you know, all, like I said, all that stuff adds up, all that stuff helps. Uh, but, you know, I'll start today, later tonight. Yeah, I mean, they're just, you know, a healthy good to go ready you know Kyle Funkhaus are just still a little bit kind of on the build up uh, the build back up but uh, in terms of health wise it's good to go one time Gatorade baseball player of the year in Illinois you played your college ball at Louisville that's a big time baseball school they're in the college world series at least they were they didn't go as far as some of the other teams went but how glued to the college world series are you this year uh, <clears throat> definitely more locked in when Louisville was down there. Um, I was pretty much watching. Uh, if, if we, you know, our games didn't line up or whatever, if I had a, a free minute, I mean, I was watching on my iPad uh, or whatever. Um, but even since they've been eliminated, I've still been watching. Um, obviously, you know, last two teams, it's really good college baseball. And, you know, some of the future – minor leaguers that, you know, we'll see or we'll run into or, or see down the line. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just really cool. Um, it was a cool experience going there. Um, so, like I said, just kind of like watching and, and just kind of checking, and, you know, just watching pretty good base, you know, watching good baseball. I know that you have a special place for Louisville, and I'd be remiss if I didn't give you a chance to speak to this because when people look at your story, sometimes they'll wonder, I wonder why he did this. Well, Kyle was the 35th overall pick back in 2015 from the L.A. Dodgers. Opted not to sign and ended up being picked by the Tigers the following year in the fourth round. How do you feel now that the dust has settled? Yeah, um, it was obviously, you know, um, yeah, it was obviously a big decision for me and my family. Um, We just tried to, uh, you know, obviously after I got picked, um, we just tried to gather, you know, really all the information we had. Um, access to and um, try to make the best form decision that we could. Um, yeah, obviously elected not to uh, not to sign. Um, my family and I just yeah we thought it was more important you know to finish my degree, um, get get that kind of out of the way, um, go back to school. Obviously, I, uh, not that I necessarily wanted to leave school or stay. Um, you know, really didn't have. Um, you know, I was like going into the draft. I was like, you know, kind of wherever I get picked, we'll see what happens and we'll go from there. You know, 
Uh, so I, I wasn't really like, oh, I want to stay at school or I really want to leave. Um, but just kind of the way um, everything worked out, um, yeah, I, I was able to go back and, and retain my scholarship and uh, um, do that. So, I, like I said, I felt like we had a little bit of unfinished business. Um, the year before, had a you know really tough loss at home in a Super Regional. Um, so just kind of putting all the all of, all in all together, um, just decided to go, that it was best for me to go back to school. I know you're seeing a lot of your former teammates playing now in the professional ranks, and some of those guys have gotten about as far as you have the international league. And now you're seeing the learning curve between double and triple A. What have you learned about that learning curve since you've now been in triple A for almost a full year? Uh, I think triple A just has the most, um, most experience. Um, a lot of guys, you know, a lot more guys than you think have made, you know, in this league, have major league time. Um, so they've, you know, seen, you know, 30,000, 25,000 a night for, um, you know, however long they were there. I mean, there's guys that have pretty significant time. And, um, just experience factor is, is kind of the biggest. Obviously, the talent level um, at each level is going to jump. That's just kind of how it is, you know, how it works. But um, one thing that's not only with the talent level, you know, the experience factor. And um, just, like, guys, don't let the situations get too big and, and stuff like that. Again, congratulations on all the success you've had up to this point. I know you're starting a little bit later on today, so best of luck to you in your start against Louisville. As I know you're raring to give the Toledo Mudhens some quality innings in your start coming up later today. Kyle, thanks again for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Dan. Another edition of Road to Detroit, another edition of Best in Class. Best in class this week, episode six of all the players in the Tiger system. This one made the most noise. This week, we go to the 24-year-old right-hander from Caracas, Venezuela, and now the Dominican Republic, Anthony Castro. He was outstanding in the Erie Seawolves' victory over Portland back on the 19th. Seven innings of one-hit, one-run baseball. He walked just one. He struck out 11 Anthony Castro has gone through some hard times, but Anthony Castro helped his Erie Seawolves pick up a 3-2 victory over Portland back on the 19th, and this was by far the best performance he's had as a professional. People forget, he won 10 games a couple of seasons ago back in 2017, and now finding a little bit of success in A. And you know, when you have success in A, and we talked about this last week, Jim Leland said, if you have success in A, you can have success in the major leagues. Congratulations to Anthony Castro, one of the best guys in the Tigers minor league system. He's this week's best in class. Our producer, Nate Wangler, has an honorable mention for this week's BIC. Castro's been doing very well. My honorable mention this week is Brock Deathridge. Not Death Rage, for the record. No, not Death Rage, although I'm sure he's probably heard that one a million times. <laughs> it sound, It looks like Death Rage. Brock will tell you if he had a nickel for every time somebody asked him that. And it sounds like Death Rage. It's easy sometimes. way to remember it. It's Death Rage. It's not. I wonder if he likes that kind of music. You I'm sure he absolutely does not. Go on. <laughs> 15 game hitting streak that was just recently cracked. But he, I mean, overall this year, 230 batting average. So he's been a little bit slow, but recently really turned things around. A home run and also four RBIs to his total over that span of time. So Brock has been doing really well in this past stretch. 
Can I tell like a behind the scenes story about Brock Deathrich? I thought you were going to say about that song, but yeah, yeah. Go He's ahead. probably going to be mad at me for telling this, but last year we pulled up to a hotel and he had never heard of this particular hotel chain. And so we got to it and there's a dead quiet bus. It was like three o'clock in the morning. We just finished up a game somewhere else and we pulled in and all of a sudden in the complete silence of the bus ride, all of a sudden we hear one voice, Brock Deathrich, and all we hear is, what in the hell is a red roof? <laughs> and I'm, I kid you not, every single player asked him that exact question every time we went to Cleveland oh. to go play the Lake County Captains. <laughs> That's classic. So, Anthony Castro, our best in class. Brock Deathrich, not Death Rage. Honorable mention. The Road to Detroit podcast continues. We talk Toledo Mudhens here on RTD. Hall of Fame radio voice Jim Weber, kind enough to join us here on Road to Detroit. Jim, good to have you. Yeah, Dan, great to be with you. So, first of all, congratulations on making the playoffs in 2018. I know it had been a really long time. Yeah, it had been since 2007. Uh, we had three good teams in 05, 06, and 07. And then last year, of course, as you just mentioned, the first time in a long time. Our problem is every time we played Durham in the playoffs, we can never beat them. We finally uh, won the first game last year, but then lost three straight. So I don't know if we're going to make it this year, but last year was quite exciting. Tell me a little bit about this year's version of the Mud Hens. I know they're having a hard time in the pitching department. Yeah, that was probably the uh, uh, the weakest asset of our team. You know, the thing is, as you know, we've tried uh, a lot of different people in Detroit, and some of them have pitched well here and not so well, and then they get up there and do the same thing. So I think the Tigers, of course, trying to find uh, lightning in the bottle, and it really hasn't happened. For example, Ryan Carpenter the other night, after one good out, and got lit up. So it's just one of those things where, you know, a lot of the young guys are – are on the verge, but they just haven't been able to get over that hump. How difficult is it when guys like you and maybe coaches in terms of having to deal with so much roster fluctuation? I mean, if anybody sees the differences between how their roster looks on one day as opposed to a day later in the week, it's the Toledo Mudhens. You guys have to deal with moves all the time. Yeah, you know, we expect that at this level because we feed Detroit but it's been uh, quite hectic this year. For example, Dalwell Lugo is being sent back. I just saw that on the computer this morning. And you really need a program almost every day. And Doug Benkiewicz does a fantastic job said the same thing. He said, you know what, I'm not sure who we're having here day to day, but whoever they send me, you know, I'll be ready. Talking to Jim Weber, radio voice of the Mudhens. So your offense, there are a couple of guys that have hit pretty well this year. But in terms of the guys that I think the Tigers are looking closest at, Daz Cameron, for example, Jake Rogers, they've both been up in Toledo for a little while now. Talk about their seasons. You know, Daz, uh, I know he's pressing. I think he's going to be very good, but he's just hitting like 210, 215, and I think that's just uh, a matter of putting too much pressure on yourself. Jake Rogers has shown signs of being a, you know, a major league catcher someday. And there are others here. Uh, you know, Willie Castro has been one of our best all year. And uh, we had a pretty good team, but when you lose guys like Ronnie Rodriguez and Harold Casper and the rest, it hurts us at this level. And Ron Gardenhire said that uh, on an interview recently, so we kind of decimated the AAA roster. You know, it's not only that, but 
you're losing a couple of guys and some of the arms that you have expected to have because of injuries. A couple of guys that have been supposed to impact the rotation, like Kyle Funkhauser. I know Bo Burrows was somebody that you guys expected to give you a lift as well. Yeah, Kyle's last start wasn't all that great. He'd probably tell you that. Uh, and, of course, Al Avila has said he'd like to see Funkhauser and Burrows get there this year. You know, they both, uh, I think they both need to improve. They're young guys, and they will. They will improve. It's just a matter of time. And everybody in Toledo keeps asking about uh, Mize and Baedo and Manning, who are having terrific years, at least balls to strikeouts ratio-wise. And I think they're trying not to rush those guys, but I have a hunch we're going to see them before the year is over. How excited are you to see those guys in Toledo? Well, I'd like to see all three, actually. I'd be happy to see one of them, uh, and the fans know that. We kind of keep up with them, and, you know, their walks to strikeout ratio, which is something I like to go by, is fantastic. I mean, I think the last time I checked, Manning was like 19 walks and 90 strikeouts, and Mice had the same type of ratio, and even Fido looked pretty good. And, you know, some of the guys they've sent us have been very good. Uh, John Schreiber has been one of our best relievers, and uh, Ethan DeCastro is back, and he looks pretty good, so... Besides the big three that we just mentioned, there's other guys there that have looked pretty good. I've been in that ballpark. There's a big league feel in Toledo. The new video board looks spectacular. You guys are working really hard out there in Toledo. Yeah, since we went downtown in 2002, it's a total new experience. Uh, Visiting players come in, and they'll say it's one of their favorite places to play. We do have a lot of good ballparks in the International League now with so many new ones. But certainly uh, ours, and I would say the one in Charlotte, right near the top in the International League. It's just a great setting. And, you know, we've done surveys, and people, uh, 70% of the people surveyed said, you know what, we don't really care if you win or lose. It's just a great experience. Well, again, we're so excited to see everything you guys have been able to put together so far. And by the way, congratulations to everybody in Toledo because you guys are really closely tied in with hockey. The Toledo Walleye made it all the way to the Kelly Cup Finals. I know you guys didn't actually win the Kelly Cup, but it's really cool that we saw you guys get all the way to the finals. Now we just need to get the Mud Hens up to speed. Jim Weber, the Hall of Fame radio voice of Toledo Mud Hens Baseball, thank you very much for joining us. All right, Dan, thanks a lot. Have a good day. I know this is the Toledo-centric version of Road to Detroit, but Riley Green's first game as a professional might be the most significant event to take place in the Detroit Tigers minor league system since this podcast started. You know, back in late April, Casey Mize threw that no-hitter in his first game in AA. That caught national attention. Now, I don't think this event will do quite that. But Riley Green's first game, and we talked about this during the on-ramp, four for five at the plate, a double Two home runs, including a grand slam, while the GCL Tigers West team picked up their first victory of the season. Casey Mize's no-hitter was really big for good reason. Riley Green and what he did in his first game as a professional is immensely important for the Detroit Tigers. Think about it from this angle. He's going up against kids that are three, four, five years older than he is, and he's dominating them. He was the best player on the field in his very first professional game. I've never heard of or seen anything quite like that. And I've seen some people throw out comparisons and they say, oh yeah, well this guy had three homers in his first minor league game in Gulf Coast League. Well, it's not the same. It's not the same. He's 18 years old. He's going to be a top five prospect in the Tiger system. A game like this will vault him even higher up those prospect rankings. He might have been sitting somewhere maybe in the 50s. Maybe. Who knows where the the rankings outlets will set Riley Green. 
But based on what he did in his first game, he's going to move up a couple of notches based on that alone. Now, I don't want to move the expectation bar too high on Riley Green. It was his first game. Just like Casey Mize, when he threw a no-hitter in his double-A debut, you know, you're excited about it. You want to continue to see more where that came from because if it's a no-hitter in game one and then he goes out and gets hit very hard the next night, takes some of the luster off. That's why Casey Mize's start was so encouraging because he continued to do that game in and game out. So Riley Green's going to have to continue to do what he did in his first game or at least something remotely assembling that. He doesn't have to go four for five every single night with two home runs. We don't expect that from Riley Green. To me and to, I think, a lot of other Tigers observers, the Tigers have been aching for a position player prospect who is impactful, who is somebody that can have the kind of effect on the Tigers minor league system to let people go, okay, you know what? That's the focal point of the lineup in the future. You know, for 10 years, the Tigers had one of the best sluggers in Major League Baseball, Miguel Cabrera. And you hope you get him back somewhere close to the level that he was during that decade of just pure and utter dominance. But at some point, Tigers fans are going to start wondering, okay, who's the next guy that's going to fill that void? Because, look, nothing lasts forever. Just even the simple idea. And I know we're one game in. So the box office is open at the Overreaction Theater. Riley Green, outstanding game one as a professional. We have some eyes down in Lakeland. And our buddy James Chipman, who does Florida State League and Gulf Coast League evaluation, he's been doing it for a long time. He's been featured on the Detroit Tigers PR Twitter account. So we reached out to James on Twitter to get his thoughts about the debut of Riley Green and what he saw from him in that game. And he sent us back a few thoughts. Our producer, Nate Wangler, will share those with us now. And as he does, we'll talk about it. He said you hate to draw conclusions after just one game because baseball is a very up-and-down game. But he did have some very good things to say. And there's so many things that stand out. Plus bat speed, advanced approach, uh, advanced ability to make adjustments between at-bats. So hold on a second. So you're talking about an 18-year-old kid with the ability to make adjustments within an at-bat. These are the developmental things that we look for in these guys, but it seems like he already has them. These are, yes. things, these are things that guys that are 21 and 22 can't do. So, right. he's, so at least out of one day, and again, we can't totally jump off from the ledge right now, clearly the ability to make some adjustments, right? Absolutely. And we're just getting started. He has a solid two-strike approach, so he's comfortable behind in the count. All right, so that's important. And if you watch James's video on his Twitter account, you can find him at underscore J Chipman. You can see his first inning single. First of all, he hits it off of a guy who's pitching in AAA. He happens to be back in the Gulf Coast League on a rehab assignment. So he gets a base hit the opposite field, number one. So you can't shift against him maybe as much as you think. That's super important. Number two, he chokes up on the bat. So watch that two-strike approach. That's a veteran two-strike approach. And if you're a guy that can hit a ball 450 feet, To see a guy choke up and go the opposite way and actually able to do it, 18 years old, people. 18 years old. Go on, Nate. He forces a lot of deep counts, too. So he's making pitchers throw a lot of pitches, which is really good for someone who's that young. Uh, Legit potential, again, a 60 rating plus hit tool. Beautiful swing, just really free and easy. Good loft, good length. Both homers weren't cheap that he hit in his first game. Loud contact. He smoked the ball's potential is 55, above average power in that area. So there were only two players that were drafted in this year's Major League Baseball draft that were given 60 hit tool ratings. Number one was Adley Rushman. 
the number one overall pick in this year's draft. The only other player with a 60-rated hit tool was Andrew Vaughn, the first baseman from Cal, who a first look a first baseman. If a guy can hit, a guy can hit. But if that's all he brings to the table, then you are totally tied into the value of that bat producing what it needs to produce. It's also important to mention that one other player was given a 60-grade hit tool from the high school ranks. That was Riley Green. If you have a guy like Riley Green, who's a 60-hit tool, and can also play center field for you, that is everything. So there's a lot more value tied into a 60-hit tool with a guy like Riley Green than there is with a guy whose game isn't as well-rounded. I mean, we got a chance to talk to him on the show. I don't know about you, but I came away with the impression that we weren't talking to an 18-year-old kid. It felt like this was a kid who had the polish of somebody who had already been through the ringer of the minor league system and had already gone up to the big leagues. Just smart, easy to talk to, engaging, confident. I really came away pretty impressed by Riley Green. And from what James said, he said that he came away kind of feeling the same way. Professional, yeah, he goes unrelated, carries himself well, looks the part professional. He seemed totally comfortable in the interview that you had with him and just his approach and the way that he answers questions. So even at 18 years old, even at that age, it seems like he's carrying himself like a veteran. Look, we have a long time before Riley Green hits the major leagues, and hopefully that day comes. But one day in... I can't remember the last time I was this juiced up about one particular prospect. I can't. In case you're new to the show, you didn't hear our conversation with Riley Green, go back to episode three. You can hear our conversation with Riley Green, the Gatorade Florida Baseball Player of the Year this season. Already a 60-grade hit and 55-grade power. Fifth overall pick from the Tigers in this year's MLB draft. Outstanding at Haggerty High School. He actually went to high school with family members of Detroit Tigers brass. So the Tigers already got to know him years ago. Based on what we saw today, I wouldn't be surprised if they would have taken Riley Green ahead of some of the other guys that could have been there at their pick at number five. Also important to know, those two home runs that Riley Green hit, one of those came off of a legitimate top 30 Toronto Blue Jays prospect. We talked about the fact that Riley Green hit his single in the first inning off of Julian Merriweather, but his home run, his first home run professionally, came against the Toronto Blue Jays' Juan DePaula. He's their 25th overall prospect, according to MLB Pipeline. We've seen him in the Midwest League this year, but now he's in the Gulf Coast League, and an 18-year-old just took him deep in his very first at bat. You can't help but think about a year ago when it was Brock Dethrich who hit three home runs in his first Gulf Coast League game. Now, obviously, they're very different players, and Brock Dethrich was moved to West Michigan in full season affiliated almost before he had time to go to sleep. But Riley Green will probably take a little more time to get used to the professional game. Who knows what will happen down the line this season? You know, At the end of last season, the Tigers promoted an 18-year-old Wenzel Perez to West Michigan. It's not crazy to think that Riley Green could make an appearance in full-season affiliated baseball before the end of the season. If that happens, this year would have been an enormous success for Riley Green. One day in, I guess it's not out of the question. And again, our thanks to James Chipman from down at the Gulf Coast League taking a look at Riley Green in his first professional game. We talked to Jason Beck, Tigers writer for MLB.com. Got a chance to catch up with Jason, talk a little Toledo, and got his impressions from Toledo's first half. Well, I think the big thing is, 
On the positive side, Willie Castro's emergence as you know an offensive catalyst and the potential impact bat. Uh, not necessarily a big power bat, but an impact hitter uh, in Detroit down the road here. Uh, I think there's still some questions about his defense, and that's the main reason why we're still seeing him getting playing time down there as opposed to being in the conversation for a call-up to Detroit when when uh, Jordan Mercer went on the injured list. But his offense is impressive. He's really kind of emerged as, I think, more than even you know Tigers personnel would have expected when they got him in the, in the uh, Leonis Martin trade. Jake Rogers, the dynamite catching prospect for the Tigers, outstanding in Erie this year before he got called up to Toledo. The bat has struggled a bit. The defense never has. Hitting around 200 for the Mudhens as of this podcast. What's he dealing with in terms of that learning curve? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You look at the strikeout rate, that, that's still a bit high. You'd like to see him be more consistent with the at bat. Uh, you know, pitchers in the International League tend to know how to make hitters chase their pitches and how to put them in a situation where they have to swing at the pitcher's pitches as opposed to weighing on their you know, their own pitches they want to hit. And also, you know, talking with guys in Erie, it's not as deep of a pitching league in the Eastern League this year as it was necessarily last season. Uh, now, granted, you know, Erie's rotation has been crazy deep, but league-wide, it, it, it's not the same league talent-wise in terms of pitching from, from people I've got talked to so you know, there's a little bit more of a jump arguably going up to the international league this year than it might have been say last year lastly Bo Burrows and Kyle Funkhauser who we talked to just a few moments ago we've heard their names mentioned and Ron Gardenhire has talked about his hope to see these guys make an appearance in Detroit sometime later this season Jason chimed in on what needs to happen for those two to get the call uh, Funkhauser I, I think health was a was a factor with him. I think we we didn't really see who Funkhauser really is as a pitcher. I thought early on in the year, and I'm, I've been curious as he's gone out here since returning from the injured list, you know, how that translates. And you kind of see bits and pieces of it, but he hasn't carried us through an entire start, let alone you know multiple starts yet. By the way, Kyle Funkhauser and his start on Wednesday night. Six innings of shutout baseball, just three hits and a walk while striking out three. Kyle Funkhauser with his best performance as a Toledo Mudhen coming on Wednesday night. So congratulations to Kyle Funkhauser. And our thanks to Jason Beck. That's a guy who's been doing a tremendous job for a really long time. Thanks to JB. Wanted to give a shout-out to Jimmy Kerr, the Michigan Wolverines first baseman who was drafted very late by the Detroit Tigers in this year's MLB draft. Kind of wonder if a few other teams think they would have pulled the trigger on Jimmy Kerr a little bit earlier. His Michigan Wolverines were not able to win the College Baseball National Championship, but it wasn't on Jimmy Kerr. Seven home runs in the College World Series, including a home run in the victorious Game 1 for Michigan over the Vanderbilt Commodores. Jimmy Kerr will probably be going through the Tigers system sooner than later, and he'll have a whole bunch of fans as he comes up, especially during his time in West Michigan. Jimmy Kerr, congratulations. Shout out to you for a great College World Series. I know it didn't end the way you wanted it to, but Jimmy Kerr certainly showed himself well for not only himself, the Michigan Wolverines, but also for the Detroit Tigers. Let's find out what's on the road ahead. 
Here's a preview of things to keep track of for the coming week. We'll check on starting pitchers, all-star games. We mentioned Erie ended up with four all-stars in case you missed that. Casey Mize, Matt Manning, Isaac Paredes, Jose Azokar, all going to the Eastern League all-star game. We'll circle back. We'll start with West Michigan. The Whitecaps return home. They take on the Dayton Dragons this week. That's the Cincinnati Reds Midwest League affiliate beginning on June 25th. Brad Bass, who was a Tiger seventh rounder out of Notre Dame last year, might have the best nickname in the entire Tigers minor league system. If you're a fan of the TV show The Office, Brad Bass is known as Big Tuna. I love that. Big Tuna, which I believe was Jim Halpert's nickname given to him by Andy Bernard. So, Brad Bass, Big Tuna's coming back to West Michigan. He struggled a little bit in Lakeland, but he was used as a reliever. He was really good as a starter for the Whitecaps at the end of 2018. Total on the season, a 7-7 seven and seven record, an ERA just a tick over four, but he really pitched well down the stretch. An ERA just barely over three, a 3-3 three and three record, but he gave the Caps really good innings and As you may remember, the Whitecaps got a playoff spot on the very last day of the 2018 season. They needed every single win they got down the stretch, and Brad Bass was certainly a big reason why they made the postseason. Over to Lakeland, they take on Clearwater for a three-game series. As for Erie, they're taking on the Rumble Ponies of Binghamton in a four-game set. As for Binghamton, they do have two of the best New York Mets prospects. Andres Jimenez, the number two prospect, and David Peterson, sixth best prospect in their system, go for the Rumble Ponies. Over to Toledo, they take on Columbus in a two-game road set. Then they're off to Louisville for two more. That's a look at the road ahead. Just a quick reminder that you can catch up on all these editions of Road to Detroit by going to Road to Detroit on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, Google, Spotify, it's everywhere. Click the subscribe button. Make sure you don't miss a moment of Road to Detroit. You can go online, find the Tigers. You can find out what's going on in the Tigers minor league system by finding them on Twitter at Road to Detroit. You can follow me as well at that Dan Hasty. We'll talk about everything that's going on in the Tigers minor league system and probably end up nerding out about Riley Green over the next couple of weeks. I hope that's okay with you guys. So, again, go online, find us on Twitter, Road to Detroit, at that Dan Hasty. Appreciate you all for listening. Another episode of Road to Detroit drops next week. Coming up next week, we go into the mailbag. For everybody involved in Episode 6, our thanks to everybody who joined this podcast. For Kyle Funkhauser, Toledo Mudhens pitcher and Tigers number 10 prospect, as well as Jim Weber, the radio voice of the Toledo Mudhens, and Jason Beck of MLB.com. And for our producer, Nate Wangler, this is Dan Hasty, reminding you we'll be back next week with another edition of the Road to Detroit podcast. And in the words of the bad guy from the 1993 movie Rookie of the Year...